My name's Colin. I lead the team here at Gateway, and many of you I don't know, because over the last three or four months, you've started coming to Gateway, so it's great to see you. Look forward to getting to know you. Um, Emma and I have been off um, for the last three or four months. We've been back a month or two now. Um, but we just had some time out as a family, and God's really blessed us. I just want to say thank you to Nigel and Nick and the team for caring for you guys in my absence. I really value these guys and what they've done. And I just want to honour them because it has put extra strain. Not that I do that much, but it's put strain on everything that's going on. Um, I'm good at making simple things complex, so actually it's probably made it easier, to be honest. Um, Right, we're going to get going in our passage today. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, as you're turning there, I'd just like Frank and Marlene, if you guys would stand up for a moment, please, quickly. We haven't got long, because I've got a very difficult passage. And No, Marlene, up you get. I would just like us to honour these guys. They have um, served the hospitality team for the last 10 years. Um, and... And these guys are um, a life transition moment, and they're just taking a break for a season. Um, you're welcome to sit down if you want. You can stand the whole time if you want to. Um, Frank has served his dad, who died um, at the end of last year, and just been serving him faithfully, visiting him three, four times a day for a long period um, as, he, as his health declined. And these guys are just taking um, some time out of serving hospitality, But thank you guys so much for serving so well and faithfully um, behind the scenes, Um, just serving, making these mornings smooth and comfortable. We value that. Just to say, therefore, if you would like to serve um, in any way, can I encourage you to step up to that? Right. Hopefully you have found 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So we're closing this um, this morning, um, this section that we've been looking at of Scripture over the last few months, on 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, around the spiritual gifts um, that God has given to the church. What are they for? Why? Why do we have them? How, do we, how are we to use them? What's our expectation? We're landing the, this um, section this morning on a hugely controversial passage. Um, But as we get going, I want us to make sure that we do not lose sight of what the purpose of these gifts are at large. The purpose of these gifts is to build up, to encourage, to um, strengthen the saints for the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the spirit, for ministering to one another and to a dying and hurting world. The, The goal of all that we've been looking at and all you guys have been digging into over these months, is that the saints are built up and strengthened in faith. And so even as we come to a challenging bit, right at the close of this section um, in Scripture, that we've got to keep that at the forefront of our mind. Paul's purpose is to build up and strengthen. That's been so clear as we've looked at um, tongues, the building up, the edifying of ourselves, of our spirit, of our inner person, and prophecy for the building up and strengthening of one another, the body, and to unbelievers. And it's been very clear, hasn't it, the last couple of weeks, this is the purpose of gifts. And in fact, gifts of hospitality and service and encouragement and all the gifts we have are actually there to build up and strengthen. So it's not simply that Frank and Marlene have made tea and coffee once a month for the last goodness knows how long, but it's actually a gift that has built up and strengthened. It's made it comfortable. It's made it more enjoyable to be here. It's made it 
that you kind of think, well, I will get a cup of tea when he eventually shuts up at the end. And, um, but the purpose of gifts are to strengthen and build up. And the purpose of gifts are that every single one of us in the body has a part to play and is indispensable. Or I could say it another way, you are indispensable to this body. You have a significant part to play. Not everybody is going to get the earpiece mic and, and come ready to serve on a Sunday morning by going, I've, I've spent time digging into God's word to see what he wants to say to us today. But it might be you're coming ready, as we saw a few weeks earlier, to bring a psalm, a hymn, a prophetic word, an instruction of some kind. It might be that you've come ready to serve on the PA or serve us in worship. It might be that you've come to serve the kids this morning. But each one of us should come with that readiness to build up and strengthen. It might be that you come into the car park and you just go, today I'm going to make it my job to be an encourager to somebody else, to strengthen them in faith. Each one of us has a part to play. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read from verse 26 through to 40 because I want to read. It's funny, isn't it? When you're away, there are some... um, downsides to being awake, because of course you get told what you're doing on your return. Um, and you don't get given a choice, I'm joking. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 26, to put um, the verses in context. I'm going to focus on particularly around 34, 35, but I want us to read them in context. So 1 Corinthians, I'm reading from the ESV, um, just so you know. Paul says this, to the Corinthian church. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be uh, only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. As we've looked at, Paul is after order in the use of these gifts. He wants them to be done well. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the saints of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Just to say, there's a, there's a lot of debate about, around where this verse sits. Um, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. There's a lot of debate around where does that, as in all the churches of the saints. Is God a God not of confusion and peace, as in all the churches of the saints? Because wherever the gospel goes and churches are planted, peace is established there. And, and God brings clarity and a lack of confusion. Or is, maybe it's written like this if you've got the ESV or even the NIV, it starts a new paragraph, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches. So there's debate around that. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them speak to their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command 
of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So two things quickly. Gifts are for building up and strengthening. And Paul wants that to, uh, that, uh, that to be so clear in our thinking. This is why God has given gifts through his spirit. Distributed gifts to the church is for strengthening, as we said earlier. And Paul is clear that he wants them to be used in a way that doesn't bring confusion, isn't unhelpful, doesn't cause people who are inquiring of faith or people who don't believe in Jesus to stumble at the use of gifts, but actually that it brings clarity and shape and it helps move us along on our journey, each one of us. Paul is really clear in that. However, we can read verses like 34 and 35 and think, I am right now so confused. A few years ago, I had um, appendicitis. I was due to go to Dubai for a Regions Beyond gathering, and the night before, um, I got appendicitis, so that was a big relief. It was the night before. Um, and I was... I thought appendicitis was just a, a, you're in and out straight away, but I was in hospital for a week, and it was agony, and I was being a complete wuss. Anyway, I came out of surgery, and that night, I, I was on morphine because I was in a lot of pain, and a guy called Malcolm was rolled into the bed opposite me, an older chap, and he had a knee. Oh, this is a slight exaggeration, but I'm not kidding. It was massive, and he had a, a knee replacement that had become infected, um, and his knee was huge. Anyway, we were chatting, um, as you do when you're on morphine and hallucinating. Um, and I really was hallucinating. Um, and, and we started talking, and we started talking about life and got into things of faith. And then he said, me and my wife could never become Christians. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why is that? He said, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus, but Paul is a misogynistic fill-in-the-blank. Fill and so then I thought, okay... Ah, can't we just talk about Jesus then? Um, and I did the worst job ever of trying to talk about Paul's attitudes towards women. Um, and attitudes is a provocative word, but as you can see, at that point, I was not very clear in my thinking. And I think I left him more confused and more certain that Paul was a misogynist than ever before. Um, God, help me this morning. <laughs> um, I am not on morphine this morning, you'll be pleased to know. I did have a gin and tonic last night. Um, so we come to hard passages in Scripture often. The Bible doesn't center around who we are and what we like. The Bible centers around God and who he is and what he is about and what he says. And there are many times, often, if you, if you read the Scripture or if you listen to preaching, where you go, ouch. And we have to adjust our hearts to the word of God. In fact, I want to encourage you, implore you, that that is what we are supposed to do every time we hear the word of God being preached or we open it, is go, God, help me adjust my heart and life to you and what you have said. That's called obedience. It's called faithfulness. But it's also incredibly difficult. There are some things that in it personally or in our culture we, we find hugely um, easy to go, isn't that great? That's fantastic. Grace, we love grace. But what has God has to say on sexuality and gender and identity and personhood and male and femaleness in our culture is increasingly becoming more out of step with culture. 
And actually, we can, if we're not careful, we can end up kind of going, oh God, I, w- I wish you didn't write those things. But God's word is always true in every culture, in every circumstance, in every generation. Other cultures wouldn't have a problem with what Paul's writing about women here at all. They'd say, that's, that's fine. But they have a huge challenge with the idea and concept of grace. And so we have difficult passages in Scripture. And so I just want to take a few moments to say, how do we handle the Bible? Before I look at this passage, how do we handle the Bible? Which bits of the Bible are true for today? In fact, I'm going to ask you to, you, you're not to go off on side conversations right now. You can talk about this afterwards if you want to, over coffee. But I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to answer this question in 15 seconds. Which bits of the Bible are true today? Oh, all right, fine. If you said none of it, it's great to have you here. Um, no, I mean that. It's great. You're, Paul says it's great to have inquirers and people who don't believe in Jesus among us. You are most welcome. But actually believe that's not true. If you say the bits I like or the bits that work with my culture, again, it's great to have you here. But the Bible says, no, no, that's not true. If you, Some of you said all of it. So, yeah. It's a simple answer. All of the Bible is true to all cultures, all generations, at all points. And so we have to do the hard work of going, how do I understand the Bible? How do I interpret it? How do I get hold of bits of passage that are difficult and understand them? And it's a word that we use is called hermeneutics, which is to do with the study and interpretation of the Bible and how we handle Scripture. So there are some, there are some challenging passages Should women cover their heads in church when they pray and prophesy? We'll come to that one in a moment. Should I not wear garments made of two types of fabric? I was going to show an episode of West Wing, but I don't think it would have been that good if you're not a West Wing fan. But Jed Bartlett goes on this great tirade against a conservative Christian. And anyway, no, I should have played it. I now have mentioned it. Um... What about women? Should women remain silent? What's the role of women in the church? We're not going to get massively into that today. But all of these are questions that we have to work through and, and get an understanding of what the Bible is teaching on these things. And if you go to the guys down the road, they'll have a different take on this. They will. You can go to churches where the church has a huge spectrum on some of these answers. And it approaches these questions and arrives at different answers. And that's okay, but we need to be clear on what we believe God teaches. So the key thing, first of all, to remember is that the Bible is a story that spans thousands of years. And it's speaking into different cultures, into different churches, but it is relevant to you. However, not every instruction in the Bible or not every command is directly relevant to you. Some of them were specific to specific groups of people for specific tasks at certain times, and others are general for all of us to carry on obeying. So I'll give you an example. Paul sends Timothy to go and collect his scrolls. Timothy knew that was for him, and I think everybody in the church knew that was a task for Timothy. I'm not, I don't think Paul was writing that saying, right, you, Timothy, Gateway Church, now go and collect my scrolls and bring them back to me. That was a specific task given for a specific purpose when Moses God through Moses says to Pharaoh 
God says, Pharaoh, let my people go. That was God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh for a specific purpose. It was a time-constrained task. So some instructions are only for, when, for God's people before Jesus came. So in the law, it said, circumcise your boys on the eighth day. That was an instruction that was relevant to God's people before Jesus came. Others were for God's people always. Love your neighbor as yourself. doesn't matter where you are in this story. That is God's instruction to you today. And you can receive it as such and go, God has told me to love my neighbor as myself. Um, Andrew Wilson, he, he gives a helpful illustration on this. He talks about the Lord of the Rings and, and when Frodo and Samwise are given instruction and the hobbits are given instruction by Gandalf and Gandalf says to him, Frodo, this ring must be taken to Mount Doom and destroyed in the fires from whence it came. Oh, by the way, Frodo, you also you need to meet me when you get to Bree, you need to meet me at the Prancing Pony. Now, one of these instructions is relevant all the way through the story, the, the casting of the ring into the fire of Mount Doom. And the whole way through the story, up until the point of once it is finally cast into the ring, once that is done, then that is no longer a relevant instruction. But the whole way through the Lord of the Rings, that is a relevant instruction. But if, as Frodo and Samwise were trekking up Mount Doom right towards the end of the story, Samwise suddenly turned to Frodo and said, Hey, Mr. Frodo, I suddenly remembered that Gandalf said we meant to meet him at the Prancing Pony. We better go back. The whole story would fall apart. There are some things that are applicable through the whole story. Love your neighbor as yourself. And some things that apply to specific groups of people or persons at points in the story. So, for example, it's one that's often picked up. Or should Christians wear garments that are made of two types of fabric or not? Well, that was given to Israel before Jesus came. That was an instruction to Israel before Jesus came. And therefore, it does not apply to Gentile believers like you and me today. The instructions about head coverings, which we'll see in a moment, on the other hand, in, in um, Corinthians, were given to Gentile believers like you and me. It was an instruction given to the church that Jesus birthed. There was an instruction about head coverings, and I'm just checking how many women are covering their hair today. Um, Motti, when you shared, you didn't have a head covering on. Oh dear. So then we therefore need to think carefully. How do we understand this instruction? What are we to do with it? Why? Because there are some things in the New Testament, for example, that we, that we do. Clearly, we obey. We just broke bread. The, the New Testament is very clear. Jesus and Paul break bread regularly. We do that most weeks. There are other things that the New Testament says, i.e. Paul... Women, when you pray or prophesy, cover your hair that all of you are flouting today. And we don't enforce it. Why? What's going on there? So how do we know which things we need to obey and which things do we not need to obey? And it's easy to end up in a mess. And it's not, I'm not right now shooting at other groups and other denominations and streams just for the fun of it, but... Our brethren, brothers and sisters, will take something like when Paul says, women, you're to be silent and you're to cover your hair. And they'll take that literally and, and that's how they'll work in their church meetings. So 
we've got to work out what is Paul saying here. And here's a rule of thumb that I want to give to you. With instructions from the Old Testament, when it comes to God's commands and instructions from the Old Testament, we are to see how they are interpreted, reworked, and fulfilled through the lens of Jesus Christ. So we'd say, okay, God has spoken. The whole of Scripture is relevant to us today. We don't go along cherry-picking verses and get a proof text and go, oh, look, women, I found a verse about women. You're to have your head covered. And I'm just going to harangue you with this until you cover your heads. You can make the Bible say almost anything if you do that. Judas went and hanged himself. Find another verse. Likewise, go and do the same. You can, you can make the Bible say almost anything if you just take verses out of context and you just say, well, I want the Bible to say this, and it surprisingly does. So in the Old Testament, we see how Jesus has fulfilled reworked and interpreted Old Testament commands and instructions for us. With instructions in the New Testament, we suppose we should assume that we are supposed to obey them as a Christian disciple unless it's clear from the context that they only apply to specific individuals, i.e. when Paul sends Timothy to go and collect his books from Troas. So what do we do with things like head coverings? Well, occasionally we get physical symbols like head coverings, greetings. Men, you're to greet one another with a holy kiss. The way we dress and a couple of other things like that where we actually obey the instruction more faithfully if we interpret or translate certain cultural symbols to preserve their original meaning. So, for example, men, you're to greet one another with a holy kiss. In our culture, men don't go around greeting each other with a kiss. Not typically. And actually, I think if we took that as a literal thing we are to do, it could become unhelpful in our culture, potentially. It could certainly become unhelpful in our culture today, with issues of gender and sexuality. That's not to say that you should never do it, by the way. I'm not writing a blanket rule on that. I'm just saying there are, there are ways we need to approach these things. Likewise, women with head coverings. Women, when they were praying and prophesying with, with their heads covered, was actually an issue of honor and shame in an honor-shame culture. And today... It was to do with dressing modestly to show that you were faithful to your husband, that you weren't either available or sexually loose. And so it was a way of displaying that. Today we have different cultural symbols that say, I, I am now not available to any other woman apart from my wife. And actually how we dress, we want to dress in a way that, that doesn't distract people from Jesus being the centerpiece of our gatherings. I think that's kind of obvious. That actually for us, a head covering isn't a cultural symbol. However, there are cultures where, if you go to France, for example, men greet each other with a holy kiss. Sorry, well, not holy kiss, but they may do if they're in church. But they greet each other with a kiss, and that's totally culturally normal and acceptable. And actually applying that holy kiss would, would work in that context, or in the Middle East, for example. And there are other cultures where women covering heads, just culturally, is still an honor-shame issue, and that would be fine to say, no, that's fine to do it. It's not a wrong issue, but it's an issue, a question of shame and honor. 
However, like our passage today, or if you happen to turn to Timothy and you see Paul talking about women remaining silent, or elders in the local church meant to be male, or can females also be elders in the church? These questions can be a bit more complex and difficult to work out. Was this just something that is a symbol that culturally served and we can translate it differently? Or is it something that we have to go, no, this is relevant today and we need to do the main reading of this and go with the thrust of what is clear in Scripture? So our passage today, let's just read verse 34 and 35. The women should keep silent. Oh my goodness. The women should keep silent in the churches. I'll leave it. I'll finish at that. Um, For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, women, before you get your stones out, (laughs) if you have read your Bible, and we didn't start in chapter 11, but if you've read through Corinthians, Paul's letter, you will know that in 11, chapter 5, Sorry, verse 5, it says this. Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So Paul, in just a few pages earlier, one page in fact, if you bothered to look, is saying, actually, women, wives, when you pray and prophesy. So, Paul, which is it? Women are to be silent or they can pray or prophesy. In fact, this silent, if you've got the NIV, it doesn't make this very clear, but Three times we're given silence. Prophets, when you're speaking, two or three at most, and if somebody else has got something to contribute, the first should be silent. If you're reading the NIV, it says the first should stop. If, and then somebody speaking in tongues, if there's nobody to interpret a tongue that you want to bring, then you should keep quiet, the NIV says. The actual word is the same as when it talks about women, silent. There's this rhythm of speaking and silence. Speaking and silence. Women speaking and silence. And so, what does Paul mean? Does he mean, women, you should never speak in church? No. Because we interpret the Bible by the Bible. We get hold of the Bible and say, okay, what what else does the Bible say on this? What, What does the Bible say about women being silent in church? And just one page before, a few chapters earlier, Paul has said, women, pray and prophesy. If you go back to Acts, let's do that. Acts chapter 2 quickly. Is it coming up on the screen? No. Here we go. Acts chapter 2. Luke has recorded Peter declaring the prophecy of Joel about what is taking place. And he says this. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And so we use the Bible to interpret the Bible and say, okay, so Paul can't mean that women are to be silent. But what we do know about Corinthians, and then that's where context becomes very important. What we know about Corinthians is that right at the beginning, Paul is writing to this church he planted because there are divisions among the people. And Chloe sent some of her people to Paul, probably with a letter at least, or with some issues saying, Paul, can you bring clarity and teaching into these divisions and issues for us? So Paul is writing back saying, I'll, I'll clarify how the church, how, what order looks like in public meetings is to work. 
Now, when it comes to this issue of why is Paul saying to be silent to women, it appears like there was some kind of division or way of, of speech that was unhelpful. The word women there is actually could be translated wives, which is probably more helpful. There was some speech that was going on, taking place that was either undermining eldership in the church or under, women undermining husbands in the church in a public context. That Paul is saying, no, if you've got questions or Things that are going on that are unhelpful in the public meeting, you need to hold that, you need to remain silent, and you can ask your husband when you get home. Which, of course, puts the onus on husbands to say, are you in this word? Are you serving your family by understanding these things? Or at least saying, I don't know. Let's look at it together. Let's open the word of God together and see. You don't have to know all the answers, but you could say, come on, let's study that. Let's get this book open and let it feed us. So no, women, you don't have to be silent in church, in case that was unclear. And I don't think scripture, I don't think we are going against the flow of scripture. In fact, I think it would also be odd if you look at the context of all Paul's just been talking about with spiritual gifts, building up, building up. Paul, in his view of the cross and what it has accomplished for society and God's new humanity, he has this radical view of what the cross has achieved for personhood. It's not just this, this new thing, just adjust a bit of your behavior. For Paul, something massive has happened in the cross of Christ to God's new people, God's new humanity, so much so that he says this in, Corinth, in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's view of what the cross has done is completely revolutionized humanity. Now, we know that there is male and female. And Paul says in other places, clearly there are roles for men. And clearly there are roles for women. There are specific differences between men and women. We are not getting into a gender debate today. That is for another time. However, Paul is clear. This has done something huge, the gospel. It has come and revolutionized your life and your community and and who you are. It would be strange that Paul saying, right, tongues, edify yourself. Prophecy, edify one another. Women, shut up. The whole purpose of gifts is to build up and strengthen. It would be very odd. You can't read this into the text, but it just would be odd, knowing Paul's heart for what the gospel has achieved, that he comes and says, right, half of you now, I want to crush you. And I want to say sorry if at times, I mean this genuinely, ladies, if at times you have felt hemmed in or crushed or undervalued or not released in gateway then my heart to you is to say sorry and I don't just want to hide behind that has not been our intention at times our ignorance or lack of understanding or just misapplied intention we will have done that and I recognize that our heart is not to crush our heart is to lift one another up and to strengthen our heart as a team is to honor and to build up and release you into who God has called you to be on mission in life that you can take hold of life that is truly life. We need to learn and grow in this. We need to become a community where, where, where the message of God's people is, I love being a woman among God's people. I love being a man among God's people because I've got life. I'm encouraged to be who God has called me to be. I am released into that. Let me just say a couple more things and, and we'll finish. 
with instructions in the New Testament. As we come across instructions, I think that we are to assume that we are to obey them as Christians, as followers of Jesus. The main and the plain, when I was on training, Mick Taylor, who, who led our training, he said, when you come to difficult passages, the easiest thing to do is to say, what is the main and the plain reading? Understanding the context, understanding how other scriptures help interpret this scripture, but what is the main and the plain? Boy, these verses, I have done a lot of reading. And there is a lot of different ideas. I mean, when I say a lot, I mean a lot. And people are very confused. The, the, the Greek itself here is not particularly helpful. The, Paul doesn't give us lots of instructions about what early church meeting looks like. He doesn't go into specifics on what the issue is here. We're left with a whole load of questions. He even talks about the law. And what does Paul mean by the law in Corinthians? And Paul seems to use the law, the term law, in different ways at points in the New Testament. And we're left with some difficult things. But I think a safe, and I don't mean safe, don't hear boring. I mean a wise way to approach scripture is that when we come to passages, we are to assume that we're to obey them as a disciple unless it's clear from the context that it only applies to certain individuals. Let me finish with this. Let me invite you to stand. I want to apply this just for two minutes to us. Can you stand? If you've got your Bible open, if you just want to flick over into 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Something in the past, you received it, the present in which you stand, and the future by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and so on. The Gospel is not something we go through so that we get to deeper spirituality. And suddenly... Oh, I've gone through the gospel. Now I get the real stuff, the gifts. The gospel is not something we start with and we move on from. Let me just make that so clear to you. You don't get saved and then get the gifts. The gospel isn't the means to get the gifts. You do get the gifts through the gospel, but it's not the purpose. You don't move on from it. And if you do, then you love the gifts more than you love the giver. The gifts is all about the gospel. We don't move on from the gospel of Jesus. It's why we place the communion tables. We probably should one day put them right smack bang in the center and say, the gospel is in front of us every time that we gather together. And God has placed gifts among us, male and female, prophecy, tongues, service, encouragement, leadership, insight, discernment. Each one of us has been gifted to point one another back to the centerpiece, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that that Paul says of first importance. Christ died, was buried, and was raised. 
That's the main thing. It's the center thing. It's, it's, it's what it's all about. It's what everything else in life and in our gathering should point to, that Jesus Christ is the pinnacle. He's the one we worship and adore, not the gifts. And that if the gifts on a Sunday morning are not pointing us to him, then we're using them incorrectly. Let alone if we're all shouting out at once in its confusion. If they don't bring us back to loving Jesus more and falling in love with him, then we're misunderstanding the purpose of them. The goal isn't that we have a meeting where we use loads of gifts. The goal is that we come built up in our faith, strengthened in the gospel, reminding one another he loves you so much. Oh, how he loves you. And we are strengthened in faith. And when we get that, then we've got the gifts working well among us. It's why the centerpiece, that love him in, in chapter 13 that Paul writes and says that gifts, are, they're not, you're not a clanging symbol. But it's about love. And the gospel is about the love of God towards you. The crazy thing is that you and I, and I know this is true, we're very quick to move away from the gospel. We're in danger of moving on from the gospel. But no, we encourage one another back to Jesus Christ. We are not to be spectators. We are, each one of us has a part to play in this. And so even this morning over coffee, can I implore you this? Can I just invite you to lift your hands for a moment? Can I implore you, gateway, one thing you can do to point people back to Jesus is to prophesy over them. It hasn't got to be this future um, in your life, I see that God, I believe God wants to. It can just be, I just want to encourage you in faith. I want to remind you. I just noticed this about you. I want to say, well done, keep running. I just, I just as I saw you, I just wanted to come over and encourage you. Gateway, the gifts are to be like an elevator of grace under one another's lives. That we are that elevator. We come underneath one another and we lift one another up just like an elevator of grace. We say, be strengthened in faith, be strengthened in life, be strengthened in your knowledge and love of God and of his people and his word and his spirit. Boy, when a church has got hold of the gifts with that goal in mind, then it's on fire. Then they'll know that you're his disciples. Then the world will see that you love God and love one another. Men love the women in this church like sisters. Women love the men in this church like brothers. Let's encourage one another. And all the more as we gather around and say Jesus is returning, let's remind one another of that regularly, that he's returning, that the gospel is finished. It's done. Jesus has done it. Therefore, we know the end. We've sung it. We prayed about it this morning. We know the end of the story. Christ has won. It's all about him. So I just bless you, Gateway, this morning. I want to bless you women and just honor you this morning. I want to honor you. I won't get into how the world views women and, and, and world views of women, but I bless you with every spiritual blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus this morning. And I just want to pray over you and proclaim over you that all that God has purpose for who you are would come to life in these days. That you would know God's hand upon your life. That you would know the Spirit's um, affirmation and his strengthening and his love towards you in Christ Jesus. You would know that he is wooing your heart and calling you on. And I do, I just want to agree with Paul. I want to encourage you to not let speech which is distracting or unhelpful come out of your mouth. Men, that's true for you also. That we would be those who lift up holy hands and honor one another with our speech. That we're not distracting one another from the gospel in some way. But that we would know what it is to, to affirm and to honor and to build up and strengthen that we may go on that journey of faith in Christ.
That we may mature in faith. Not staying as infants, tossed back and forth by different things. But we would, we would love the meat of the gospel. And so I bless you this morning. Women, I just bless you. I pray the Spirit of God may fall upon you. That you would not feel belittled or second class in the, in the kingdom of God or in the local church. But that you would know that you are a, a co-heir. And you are made equally in the image of God. And yes, you have a different role and function. But in the gospel, we can hold those two things in tension and it not be a problem. And I pray that the God of peace would come and and strengthen you in what it means to be a woman of Christ, a daughter of your heavenly Father. And I pray that Gateway would be renowned for mighty, roaring women of the gospel who love Jesus and fear nothing. So we say, we, we, we champion you women in Gateway. Ladies, we champion you and we say, come on, rise up. Rise up. May the Spirit of God provoke you and motivate you and compel you in these days. And gents, I just want to bless you this morning in the name of Jesus. I want to pray that, that we would make this a place where it's a blessing for ladies to, to be. An easy place, a comfortable place, a helpful place. I just want to implore you to, to treat women like sisters. And I bless you and I pray that you may receive the Spirit. I pray that our love and devotion to God may grow all the more in these days. But gateway more than anything, let, let love abound. Let love abound. The centerpiece of this passage, let love abound. Let love abound. Use the gifts, use them. Go crazy with them, with order and control. But go crazy with them so that the saints are strengthened. That one another is strengthened for the purposes of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.